Warning. This episode of the Watchlist Burn Book contains a brief discussion on assault and relationship violence. If you wish to skip that segment, the timestamps are located in the episode description. Thank you for listening. Everybody and welcome back to the watch list burn book today we have i i don't even i can't say the last time i've been this excited for an episode but we have a really exciting episode today we're talking about bridgerton the i guess the netflix regency sensation <laughs> i'll say <laughs> <laughs> that came out about two months ago, almost. It'll be two months ago, maybe around Christmas time. Did it come out on Christmas? I think it did. Yeah. If not on Christmas, like right after. Around that. Um. So, you know, it's the it girl of the TV season buzz, I guess. That's, that's an apt way to describe it. Um. So we thought we would start by... Doing another character speed run. Uh, the last time we did this was when we watched I Am Not Okay With This. Because uh, there are a lot of characters in this show and a lot of people to have thoughts on. So let's get started by kicking it off with the Bridgerton matriarch, Violet. Who I actually, I didn't mind. I liked her. I, I got annoyed with some of the things she did, but I liked that she was very open with her kids. Except yeah. for about sex. But yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like that for the most part, except for when it came to actual adult life, except for with her sons. I I feel like it was different with her sons. But with her daughters, you know, that part could have been better. But for the most part, yeah, she seems like a really great mom, especially raising eight kids alone. Mm-hmm. One of the better moms of this show. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Next, Anthony, thoughts. You know, okay, 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 actually. I I wouldn't say that I hate him. Initially, I think I did really, really, really dislike him. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I wouldn't say that I feel bad for him, but I I understand that he is in a a rough position. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, like, you know, you got some shitty circumstances, but could he have made better choices? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I like that he was very flawed. Um, just as a viewer, I hated him though. He drew mm-hmm. me bonkers. Oof. <laughs> Not the best. One of one of the lower one of the lower ones ranked on the the Bridgerton scale. <laughs> yeah, I would put him low. Next, we've got Benedict. What are your Benedict thoughts? The first of the queer coded Bridgertons. <laughs> Should have gotten with the with the artist, but that's something that we will discuss later. But yeah, he's one of, he's one of my favorite Bridgertons. I really, really liked him. Um and I I yeah, we'll we'll yell more about <laughs> the shit that they did, but um I agree. I I found him very pleasant and I liked that he was one of the quote unquote different Bridgerton siblings. It was nice to have some. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was nice to have a couple of them. Yeah, exactly. 
Next, we have Mr. Pompadour himself, Colin. Oh, God. Just so... Like, as a person, I just felt very indifferent toward him. I didn't understand what all the hype was about. Yeah, he had no personality. He also can't sing, like, that one scene that they let him sing. I was like, what what are you doing? (laughs) He really can't. I mean, it was fine. It could have been much worse, but it was not, it was not great. I don't know what Penelope sees. It has to be some kind of, like, childhood shit that we just don't see like context that they have that we just don't because there was nothing there for me but you know you do you penelope i guess um (laughs) yeah yeah up next is daphne the lead or one of the leads of the show who i mm, (laughs) no not a fan personally daphne bugged me but what I did like is that the actress, her face moved the exact same way that Kira Knightley's does. Did you notice that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's she's this generation's Kira Knightley. <laughs> she could be. She was really good. And like I understand why Daphne was like so appealing as like a lead, like especially like a leading lady ingenue. But mm-hmm. I don't know. She's she's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, agreed. I found her just kind of bland and vaguely annoying um and there are other things that she does we'll talk about later that are actually enraging but you know aside from that she's fine um (laughs) (laughs) on to the best the best bridgerton eloise queen icon showed up with her raspy raspy 30 year old woman voice and it was (laughs) love at first sight (laughs) our other queer-coded Bridgerton sibling uh, where they went nowhere with. Uh, and it's infuriating. But God, was Eloise such a delight. I loved that they went beyond like her whole usual... Because obviously she fits the like rebellious woman trope. But beyond that, the fact that one, she actually has support from her family and two, that she wants to write... And it's not just like, I'm going to be an angry spinster and that's my story. You know, Mm -hmm. like she she has potential to have a really exciting story, which I like. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that she eventually decided to like do her little society coming out thing at her own pace. Yeah. You know, and like the way she wanted to. And I thought that was very good that we didn't have a quick like oh, I used to be rebellious and now I'm not anymore and I'm going to be super femme and et cetera, et cetera moment for her. So good job on the writer's part for that one. Yeah. Uh, Up next, we've got uh, three of the Bridgerton siblings, which we are lumping into one category. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which are Francesca Gregory and Hyacinth. Francesca, who literally only shows up in one episode. And Gregory and Hyacinth, the two youngest children, because they are irrelevant and quite frankly pretty annoying yeah yeah i didn't even realize that like francesca existed when she showed up i thought she was like another one and then i realized that her name started with the letter f and that would kind of make sense with their timeline anyways irrelevant annoying (laughs) yeah she's like she's name dropped once i remember eloise was talking to hyacinth and she was like i'm writing francesca about something and i was like who's francesca and i didn't think like you know (laughs) and then when she showed up later i was like Oh, 
I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? They just let her, like, what, wander around in, like, a different country? I don't know. Yeah, I think she was, like, in France or something studying piano. Like, okay. Okay. Whatever. Sure. (laughs) Anyways, on to someone more exciting. Penelope. Gossip girl! XOXO gossip squirrel. (laughs) Love her. God, I, I adored her. I really did. I don't think there was really, I don't, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if there was really any Penelope moments that I disliked. Even her thing with Colin, I, I still really liked her. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I loved all of her turmoil with Marina and Colin and that whole arc. Oh, I just, I ate that up. That was really good. Yeah, it was, it was really good. And speaking of Marina, uh, she's next. I thought she was done so dirty. Um. She was done so dirty. <sighs> they they really brought her in thinking she was going to be hot shit. And I thought she was. But then that went downhill 20 minutes later. Yeah, like literally in the same episode. And I was like, well, what was the point? She's just going to be like, a, a, a well, don't don't have sex before you're married or this will happen. You won't be able to find a husband, girls. Like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a bummer. She should have had a better storyline. I agree. Up next is uh, ooh, ooh, Portia. <laughs> I hated Portia until that whole business with her husband happened, where it was revealed that he didn't have any money, and then she had to deal with him, and then he immediately died. Yeah, I felt real bad for her when he died. I felt so bad for her, but I also like. I don't know. I love the depth that we got from her by that point. She wasn't just like the mean mom. Like she was still a mean mom, but like she, there were some reasons, you know? Yeah. She really was sacrificing a lot for her kids Mm -hmm. or what she thought her kids needed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Speaking of sacrificing for children, Lady Danbury, (sighs) the best of them all. I really do love her. So good. No qualms. 10 out of 10. Yeah, just mwah, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, up next is uh, the Duke of Hastings, Simon, Moody Moody Simon. <sighs> brooding, brooding, dark and handsome Simon Bassett <laughs> Hastings. <laughs> we love you. Um, you're an asshole, but kind of love that too. Mm-hmm. Much love, nothing but love. <laughs> Uh, the queen what were your thoughts on the queen i loved that we like just knew her as a drama starter for a majority of the time but then Mm -hmm. i loved her even more when all of that came out about her husband and how he was deteriorating and that made her like really sad and there was like some depth there with her i i enjoyed that yeah i thought their story was really interesting especially because initially it makes it seem like she doesn't care about him at all Mm-hmm. But it's really she's like throwing herself into the drama so that she doesn't have to think about the fact that her other half is like deteriorating every single day. Exactly, exactly. And I love that they did that instead of just making her this sort of enigmatic, lifeless monarch. So yeah. good stuff. She was good. Mm-hmm. You know who else was also good? Sienna. Oh, I wanted so much better for her same she was one of the many characters where i i wish she had gotten like a better ending Mm -hmm. but she wasn't gonna let herself have a better ending and that's what sucks 
Yeah, she she was convinced that she was just gonna have to continue to just be with shitty rich men, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, you uh, you're really great. Somebody really should and will love you the way that you deserve to be loved. Mm-hmm. Run away with Genevieve. Oh my god, please. <laughs> I wanted that so bad. I really thought it was gonna happen. I really thought it was gonna happen for a hot second. And it should have, because yeah. Genevieve was also incredible. Genevieve being paired with Benedict, I mm, no. I <laughs> I loved her. I loved her fake French accent. I I loved everything about her. God, that was so funny. She was playing everybody for that bag and I approve. I oh god. That was that was a lot, but we got through it all. <laughs> all right. So to start off all of our other discussion sections for Bridgerton, we decided to start with race and the discussion of race in the show. When they first dropped trailers for this and like when they started doing publicity for it i know everybody who even went anywhere near netflix was like oh shit this is really cool there are black people in the regency era that are ranked that's awesome however that didn't really play out very well in the actual watching of the show yeah i mean i i agree i think it it felt like we were, and we as in like the larger audience, not just this podcast, <laughs> um, but we were made to think, you know, that this was going to be this like super diverse world, you know, where white people were not the the class standard. Mm-hmm. And it, it like, it was either, I, I had like one of two expectations going in. It was either going to be a world where everybody's races were mixed and we just didn't talk about it, like the Brandy and Whitney Houston Cinderella, or where it was going to be, you know, race was very integral into the construction and existence of this society and the way that people have subverted like traditional societal structures in terms of race would be like that was important and it was like that was the way that I guess they thought that they were going with the show but they didn't like it felt very like they dipped their toe into discussions about the fact that they created this whole new world where black people exist in a station in society where historically they they didn't, at least in the history that we're taught, you know? Yeah, on that front, it was even super shady, because when you jump into it, it feels like Cinderella, you know, where like, it's just completely, it's just like a very diverse aristocracy. And that's just sort of the way it is. And that's kind of the world that you think it is, which I had some thoughts about, but like, that's kind of like the world that you think it's in until like halfway through the season where Lady Danbury has that line about how the king married, like in quotes, one of their own. And then Mm -hmm. therefore like in doing that, they were brought up, like they being just generally, I guess like non-white people, they, they, they had like gained aristocratic status. And after that was mentioned, it was never really discussed again 
which is bothersome when you have the creator having interviews talking about how this is supposed to be this this show is supposed to like take place in regency era but it's supposed to have very like forward modern discussions on like race and sexuality and gender roles and like this that and the other thing but when that's not when that's like not even what's happening and it's kind of concerning because <laughs> that means that like the people that created this think that like just having a th- one throwaway line is enough yeah to cover exactly. these discussions yeah and it's it's concerning yeah they had they had that line and then they simon's dad has a line um which (laughs) oh god do i have thoughts about having the darkest person in the show be the most evil um because because the, the the perspective that he has is not necessarily an inherently evil one you know like mm-hmm. he has this whole premise about the fact that they have to make sure that they are always excellent. Like the Hastings line has to strive for excellence and be like the the usual, which many black kids and also like kids of color and kids of immigrants grow up hearing from their parents. Like you have to be twice as good to get half of what they get, they meaning white people. So like, yes, we get that line, but when it's also this super abusive father, it just like, it makes it worse because we don't even then get to have that perspective because it's veiled in this narrative of this character that we are obviously taught to see as really evil and just like shitty. And he is a shitty person and a shitty father, but he doesn't have to be a dark skinned black man. Like that should have been something that was like actually discussed instead of it just getting framed as abusive, especially especially because all of that happens before we get an explanation of the so-called lore behind this world that we're seeing. So like that's it, it doesn't matter, you know, right. <laughs> all of those discussions that like should be happening and that like should have been unpacked in this show, like you don't even get to talk about because they are just automatically framed as like really bad. Yeah, it's like it actually really sucks because I feel like the the racial discussion or I mean on honestly the lack of but the 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 actual racial discussion that we get most of it happens in the past like context or in talking about the past but actually do we rarely get present current discussions like there there simon has very few um mm-hmm. which i i think is interesting um because i i don't know if people like who are listening to this episode know by now but these this the series is based on a, a, a series of books and these people in these books are white um <laughs> and you can tell like i I, I have an issue and this happens with the theater world. People do this a lot where, you know, after there is criticism that you've been given about the fact that you don't cast enough black people or people of color in general, when you produce a show that is generally written by a white person where the people inside it are white and then you put POC or black actors, you don't actually change the characters to make them black or or people of color. You just put that person in the role and expect them to just exist. And, and yeah, that was Simon for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like what's a what's a double whammy is the fact that like the existence of Simon and Lady Danbury and like the Queen for that matter are like supposed to 
I guess, represent this, like, historical thing that would have happened in their world. But, like, they don't talk about that. They just think that, like, throwing them there is enough to say that, like, oh, it's equality. They, they reached equality, like, what, 40 years ago and now everything's fine and dandy. But, like, that's... That's that's not enough, especially when you have a black woman who's the face of like an imperialist structure like Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And that was what my issue was at the start of the show. Because like, if you're just going to do your colorblind casting and then <laughs> put a, a black woman as the queen and like not talk about the fact that this is in the, the bridge of like the heyday of the British Empire. It's it's like almost there. But like it, it it doesn't matter if you're doing it for equality's sake if you're gonna be putting a person of color in charge of an empire which is profiting off of destroying people of color in other countries. Yeah. <laughs> and like if you are gonna do that, maybe you should maybe you should actually unpack her being in that position instead of just putting her there and thinking, oh, it's fine. We do have like more than white people here. Mm -hmm. Especially since historically six years ago, it was only six years ago that slavery was abolished in Britain when Bridgerton takes place. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, exactly. Like because of that, maybe, maybe you should like think about, I don't know, think about the time and what you're doing instead of just throwing it in there to get brownie points from Netflix viewers. Yeah, it just, I I think that like there's potential, you know, especially because there there's gonna be and there has been a lot of this same feedback, especially from a lot of other non-white people who also were not represented well in this show. Like it really sucks to get excited about a show and to be told like, oh, this is going to be a show that like features people who look like you. And it's going to be really exciting because you're going to get to see yourself in this like fantasy scenario that you might have imagined yourself being in before, but couldn't because of the time you live in. And then you you get to it and all of the people who look like you are in the background. They don't even talk. Mm -hmm. And even for black people, which, you know, I don't know, some black people might feel differently. Some people might have been fine with the way the black people were represented in this show. But for me, you know, I'm not even a dark skinned person. But the fact that the only the 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 darkest person with speaking lines on that show is almost like a few shades <laughs> darker than me is a problem. Um, especially because she is one, an older black woman. So she's not even young. She's a mother figure. So there's a ton of mammy stereotypes that she can fall into. Yeah. Like there's, there's so much shit. Like the two black men that are not Simon are his emotional support boxing buddy and his dad. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else is super light skin, pretty or white. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's a huge problem with the fact that the the black people that are supposed to be romantically coveted in this show are all <laughs> really light skinned. And we've like already kind of been like referencing this, but if you haven't seen Khadija and Bowie's uh discussion on Bridgerton, go to their YouTube and find it because it's really good. Mm -hmm. Um they brought up a point that was like do you like do you even think that a man who was as dark as 
Simon's boxing buddy could have been considered in the role of Simon, mm-hmm. like at all. Like a because Simon is supposed to be this he he's he's like the romantic interest. And B, this is this is a show that relies on like sex scenes. It's weird to think about could they have even casted like would they even consider casting somebody who wasn't light skinned who had to like sleep with a white woman constantly over the show for it to be appealing. Appealing, thank you. Appealing Yeah, no, I agree. To a <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Riley. Appealing to <laughs> appealing to a viewer base that is watching this because it's supposed to be based in like a female gaze. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, our our black our black lead, you know, he has to be n- not seen as like threatening or you know. And I I think that I agree. I I think that it's really gross that people assume you know a dark skin big black man automatically means scary and that means that like they probably didn't consider any men that they considered for will for simon and vice versa because they would would simon's like boxing buddy like be this like super lanky like light-skinned dude who's like pretty you know like it's the same kind of stereotypical like character construction that they don't think that they're like buying into like racist archetypes but you are (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's things that are like so deeply ingrained that they don't even consider them which is like (laughs) which which makes it like really show that this was a production team full of white people except for shonda rhimes um but like even as producer you just sort of like let people run with your stuff and then you put your name on it exactly it's not she didn't write this exactly she (laughs) she gave it to like some white dude to adapt and create and deal with and then just sort of put her name on it and it it shows Mm -hmm. okay so our next section that we're gonna get into is talking about um mostly the costumes but the hair the production just yeah how things are put together in this show because it's actually quite interesting um (laughs) i know jackie you have a lot of thoughts about the costumes (laughs) yes i've got like a mini a mini ted talk on regency era dress if you would like me to give you a rundown oh my god yes please perfect okay so this is this is something like I kind of looked at beforehand. I like kind of had an awareness from, but like I went and like did a deep a deep dive. I'm gonna say deep dive, but it was really just like a couple Google searches. So like all of this information was easy to find. I just let that <laughs> <laughs> let that be remembered. So um, as we know, it happens. Bridgerton takes place in 1813, which is like right smack dab in the middle of the Regency era. And like technically the Regency era is like 1811 to like 1820-ish, but people extend it all the way forward to like 1795, hmm. even though all of the dress is like really different by at that point. So I kind of, this is one of those moments where like I kind of understand some of the things that the costume department was going for, but I still disagree. And one of the one of the main reasons why I disagree is the fact that the major inspiration for 
the costumes like of the Regency era was like they, they want it to look very Greco-Roman and they didn't want to look like how aristocracy looked like before the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Because this because like the Regency era is like right after the French Revolution and then everybody in the globe saw like these rich decadent French people getting murdered. So like rich people don't want to look like that anymore because that the, the performativeness makes them makes like the people who aren't like aristocracy like really see the divisions in class so therefore by making everybody in the aristocracy look kind of simpler and plainer there there isn't like that tension or like the aristocracy like thought that that tension wasn't going to happen but in actuality it kind of does so because of that i had some beef with the fact that the especially the queen and like the royals still look like they came right out of like <laughs> they came right out of versailles and yeah. it was like everybody's servants also look like they came right out of versailles it was it was very french and then also everyone who was like on staff at these places they were wearing like more expensive clothing than the people who they worked for Mm-hmm. Um, and then something that I also thought was interesting that I found today is that during, like, immediately after, like, technically right at the start of, like, the wider Regency era, so, like, at 1795, they had put a tax on, like, hair powder. So, like, nobody wore wigs except for the royals sometimes. And, or, and like, judges and, like, certain, certain clergy people. So mm-hmm. the fact that everybody was wearing wigs was, like, incorrect because nobody would have had, you know, nobody would have spent time actually spending money on the powder that was used to maintain those wigs <laughs> so the fact that they put all of like the staff of everywhere in wigs i thought was very interesting anyways um so just to give you like a brief thing on um what the men and like women were technically supposed to wear during the regency era so we can unpack what everybody else is wearing um so men didn't only wore pants they didn't wear breeches because of the french revolution because the revolutionaries didn't wear breeches and that was the whole point um everybody was supposed to wear high collars and they were supposed to have waist waistcoats that didn't have that cute little m on the bottom like the bridgerton boys wear they were Mm -hmm. supposed to be like flat at the bottom so like simon was probably the most in period of all of the men um and then the women were when i went researching they were actually like more in theme than i expected them to be um like i said before it was supposed to be like super greco-roman um and all women were supposed to have their titties out like only in the evening <laughs> they're supposed to have those like low necks with their titties out in the evening but everybody who was at home like before 4 p.m essentially was supposed to have like a very high collar and just sort of be in like you know their their home clothes so everybody who was wearing like super decadent stuff during the day when they were like visiting them in their homes and everything was incorrect um they would have looked closer to what eloise was wearing like at home and then they would have like dressed down or I guess they would have like dropped the collars and gotten a little like worn like brighter colors and would have looked better by the evening so like along those lines everybody tended to be like more in theme for the parties but they definitely like weren't in theme in their homes and um something else that really bugged me before we get into some other stuff was (laughs) um the uh Featherington matriarch's silhouette Mm. Portia she she had that nice little sweetheart 50s housewife number going on, which technically they had 
sweetheart necklines at that point, but that was the issue would have never been in a bodice that tight. Yeah, especially as a mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like even so, like even more so as a mom. Like her whole thing was much, it was like a cross between like 1950s housewife and then also like mid 19th century gothic in the way that like she had those long sleeves and that she had like a very low waistline. Mm-hmm. Everybody would have been wearing waistlines that were like right under their boobs like everybody did. So like I understand that they did that to make her look really good and she did she looked great but she stood out like a sore thumb amongst everyone else i love this <laughs> this was awesome because i i really like that um this was something that a lot of people who i don't know you you don't when you when you see popular shows very rarely does it like evoke a response from people from so many different realms of art creation and so it's always really exciting to me I think whenever costumes do get brought up because that was like that's the one realm of like theater that is not my wheelhouse at all and I find it fascinating because I think costume designers are amazing thank Um, you thank you Um, and so yeah I just I think it's really exciting I was really excited to hear your thoughts about this because I also like I don't know that much about all of the intricacies but like I I am I am a period Regency drama fan I have been for a good portion of my life Um, Mm -hmm. so like I definitely do know what things are supposed to look like I definitely can recognize like styles of dress that are clearly Greek um (laughs) (laughs) like it was yeah it was it was interesting to see sometimes that they were committed to actually being in period and other times where they were like well this is an adaptation so you know whatever yeah which is like so which is weird because when you watch it you can see that their some of their costuming stuff was really intentional like putting the royals in that garb that like looks very Marie Antoinette because like it's supposed to be like performative and super you know super super fancy and like they're supposed to look like more decorated than everybody else so like I I understand it but I feel like it doesn't play as well as they thought it was going to is the best way for like the same reason that you said like they 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 definitely care about like certain details more so than others and it's very it's very noticeable and like costuming is one of those things mm-hmm. um yeah the wigs were also bad i'm gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> The wigs, some of the hairstyles, I hate, and I mean hate Daphne's bangs. I hate them. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was not a good call. She looks way too young. Yeah, I just, yeah, Daphne's design in general, I thought that her outfits were beautiful. I think that she has a very nice color palette, um, especially mm-hmm. like especially for how pale she is. I think that it really worked. All of those super light, soft blues, those look great. But that hairstyle, no. And, like, what also bugged me was that they did not know how to do Marina's hair. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because they they spent so much time working on literally every other actor's wigs. And they, they went out of their way to, like, put the queen in some of the best wigs I've probably ever seen in my entire life. But they... So good. Yeah, it's so, it's so <laughs> good. Oh, man. Just the creativity in this alone was, like... off the charts but yeah it's just it's bothersome when they clearly got very like super qualified people to like put those wigs together but they did not get somebody who knew how to style marina's hair (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? That's just that's just careless. That's that's careless. Like I know that they probably didn't do this, but it felt like they just asked the actress. Like, um, I mean, here's a picture. Like, do some shit with your own hair. See, I thought so too. But actually, I I went and found an interview with her, and she had the same hair and makeup people as Simon's actor. Well, that's why. Yeah. Because he does. You know what? Yeah. He doesn't have hair to style. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it's kind of worse. Oh, I'm so mad. (laughs) That's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Not. Oh, God. (laughs) Not you get in the hair and makeup people. Somebody who has no hair compared to you. Like, he has hair, but, like, compared to you, with your full head? Yeah! Oh, God. Oh, my God. They gave her, like, that horrible beehive or, like, that weird, like, pineapple top knot thing. Yeah, with her one tendril. Yeah. Which, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a show like like Bridgerton and then you're gonna advertise it as something that's like very <laughs> very like diverse, essentially, like maybe you should maybe you should actually take care of your your black actors. Wink wink nudge nudge. <laughs> Okay, so if you haven't gotten enough of us talking about the things we hate, we're going to have another section on like the miscellaneous things that we did not like about Bridgerton. (laughs) And the first part of this third part is the rampant queer baiting that happens with the two gay-coded Bridgerton siblings. Oh God. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's one of those, it, it reminded me of how, of like in the Star Wars sequels where Oscar Isaac knew that Poe Dameron was gay and in love with Finn and he played it that way. And then yeah. even though the, like the directors didn't address it, like you cannot convince me that Benedict was not in love with that painter. Thank you. Thank you. Because I I was like, you are not going to, you are not going to tell me that he went through all of this crisis with like, one, finding this man and being like, wow, there's a whole new way to live life. And then going to the party, walking in on him and the guy that the painter is in love with and being like, what men can be together? Oh my God. (laughs) And being like, wow, you're married. How does that work? And him being like, it's an arrangement. My wife's great. Like, <laughs> we're this is beautiful for us. And he's like, whoa, my whole life could be different. And then he sleeps with Genevieve. He that was a- so anticlimactic. <laughs> he had a threesome with Genevieve and the artist's wife. And it's yes. like, you can't convince me that that happened when, I mean, pop off. Like, good job. I would I would love to do that too, Benedict. But... But the artist is right there. The artist who you insulted and like felt so bad about for weeks was right there. <laughs> like, thank you. I I would have been fine with a bisexual Bridgerton, okay? Like mm-hmm. he that's okay. We can acknowledge that. Like there is not just straight or gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I both him and Eloise, because I, and I've heard this from so many people. It's funny because I've heard this from so many queer people, <laughs> specifically. <laughs> but, 
when Eloise and Penelope literally it's the first like two minutes of the show when they walk out of their houses and they like see each other on their front porches and they wave and it's like this like super shy hello Mm -hmm. I was like oh my god girlfriends yes and then it never went anywhere yeah or like that one scene where they're like laying with poor posture on the couch eating chocolate together Mm -hmm. they're they're so cute they are so cute and i hate hate that they didn't get together but mm, there there are more seasons we can we can hope yeah i hope i hope at least that you know with like the outcry from fans like that is something that they will take into account, even if they don't decide to go anywhere with those two characters in particular, just making sure that there are more queer people in your universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cause like, if you're going to advertise it as being like modern and like sexually forward, I guess is the best way to <laughs> put it. Yeah. Like you should, you should, you should include things like that instead of, you know, just being like, Oh I'm an artist and I'm in love with this man, but like we can't be together and it sucks and you don't get it, Benedict. Right. Like, because that was a very big part of being gay back, back. I hate to say back then, but like, but yeah, <laughs> you know, back then the, the fact that you, you had to make arrangements like, oh, I don't remember his name, but you, you had to where, you know, if you were lucky that you found someone who was like, yeah, no, I'll marry you just for money's sake and for like being secure financially but i understand that you love someone else but you cannot be with them because you will die Mm -hmm. and the stakes were just not communicated Mm -hmm. like enough yeah it just it it felt very lazy oh now that i new thought new thought um (laughs) (laughs) sorry I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna create a world that has like in quotes solved racial equality would you not also create a world that is very like not homophobic I don't know I don't know if it's gonna be an alternate universe and they like are gonna ignore everything that has to do with history maybe they should also ignore that instead of picking and choosing if it's a utopia Mm -hmm. yeah I agree Mm -hmm. wow good thought thank you that just (laughs) that that manifested (laughs) yeah it it came out of nowhere when you said um when you like started talking about like the historical context it's like yeah yeah. move into our next point um this is another point that was brought up in Khadijah's video which again if you have not watched their video please do um Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's very good actually I might link it um in the episode description so y'all can just click on it Uh, (laughs) but there is a there is a, a sexual assault in this in the show um in one of the later scenes with Daphne and Simon um after Daphne finds out you know that Simon has not been completely honest about why he doesn't want children or why he says that he can't have them and she assaults him and uh, apparently in the books it's worse um like apparently in the books it's very clear that it is actually like straight up sexual assault and in the show they try to make it 
the consent is dubious. I I don't like that it's just dropped. I don't I don't like that there wasn't a warning. Yeah, it it came out of nowhere, and then for it like just to be a plot point, but like not like a plot point to talk about like oh they they don't talk to each other, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like you like assault should not be like a throwaway plot point to begin with. It rarely should be a plot point anyways <laughs> yeah. um if ever but i don't i don't know to like to to clearly read the book and then like if if apparently it is worse which i didn't know and like adapt it in that way and then proceed to discuss it not as an issue <laughs> Yeah. Is a huge problem for me. Yeah. Because I think, I think if, you know, you decide like as a writer, okay, this kind of needs to stay in for like, just like plot fidelity purposes, whatever. There, there's shit that you can add where the characters have a conversation that maybe didn't exist in the books, you know, because the fact that Simon just was not, it, it really felt like Simon's feelings about that entire situation just were not valid at all because he lied to Daphne like his lie about you know or I didn't even I don't necessarily even consider it a lie but like withholding his past in relationship and promise to his father about how he won't continue the line you know all of that superseded the fact that he was assaulted by his wife and that he had the right to be upset about that yeah and like especially because Daphne just sort of <laughs> she assumed that not only like she assumed wrong about what he said and then she also felt bad because he didn't want to share all of his trauma with her after like being married for a week <laughs> after knowing each other for what three like, weeks <laughs> exactly not even a month yeah so i i i've got a problem with like I don't, I don't have a problem with like the character acting that way because that's that's a problem and like she's flawed and that could be like addressed as a flaw but like having her act that way and like be entitled to those things and then view her as not in the wrong yeah is an issue yeah she was not vilified nearly enough Mm-mm. for that like she felt very sympathetic to me actually mm-hmm. and even when she was like you know lady danbury was like you know here's all these things you didn't know even then it's like oh poor daphne she didn't know and it's like no fuck that you did a shitty thing and so far he's the only one being made to seem like the shit person in this scenario like no both of y'all did some fucked up shit yeah and maybe you both should fix it so so amongst all of those things <laughs> a little bit of like a lighter issue that we have is the music question mark um there there were there was not like a clean a clean theme with mm-hmm. how they wanted to um throw that music in there they had like orchestral versions of um maroon five and uh <laughs> taylor swift and ariana grande which were like in theory they were fine um it, execution was iffy um and then they also just had like a random modern song in there i don't know I don't know. I just, that, that bugged me. Yeah, I agree. I was not that big of a fan of the modern music. I think if they picked different songs, I would have liked it better, but mm-hmm. it, it might've just been the songs that they picked were not my favorite songs. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, Ugh, why? Yeah, it was, it was thrown in there for, um, for viewers to be like, oh, haha, modern song. That's funny. But like, it didn't fit. Yeah. I agree. Also, something that didn't fit was those CGI backgrounds, which we've talked about that on this podcast before with Queen's Gambit. And I feel the same. They were ugly. And like, it sucks when like their interior design looks so good. 
And it's so realistic. Mm -hmm. That was the best part about this was the buildings inside the Mm -hmm. rooms. Big time. The whole like Hastings estate looked stunning. The flooring in there was great. So like all of all of the CGI-ness and the zooming in and everything was it ruined it. How dare you. Shame. (laughs) Ring the shame bell. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Okay, so now that we have significantly bashed this show enough, um, we can talk about some of the things that we did like, because <laughs> we did like, we did like it. It's not, it's not all bad. Mm-mm. And something that I, I think was really great, um, and actually, I was, I don't know why I'm even really thinking about Queen's Gambit, because they aren't really similar, but I guess in terms of, like, Netflix series of uh, a similar length in, like, construction I liked that this pa- like was paced really well. Mm-hmm. Like it felt, it did not feel like I was sitting for an hour every single time I was sitting and watching the episode. Like everything moved. Um, and it wasn't in a way where I was like, I don't know what is going on. Like it's a little jarring at first when there are so many Bridgertons to figure out who everybody is. But like, <laughs> you know, outside of that, like once you figure out people's names and like the general lay of the land in terms of society or the ton as they like to call themselves um you know it it, it, it moved and I like I like that mm-hmm. and I like that we focused on like one London season mm-hmm. in quotes um and we didn't like stretch it out any further than that because like compacting it into that like London season and then like spreading it out I guess like spreading out the plot the way that they did it it felt a lot more digestible is the best way to put it. Like you said, um, it didn't even feel like the, like the episodes were really long, but it didn't feel like I was sitting there um, trying to focus on something for an obscene amount of time. Like it flowed very well. And um, it was like just the right amount of information for us to get about all of these people's lives to actually easily follow along. So yeah, I agree. It like, I think that the season was a really good device because yeah, it's supposed to be what, like a month long, kind of, almost. It's like, or is it longer than that? Summertime. It's summertime. Yeah, it's so it's like a, a good a good portion yeah. um, of time. So longer than <laughs> they probably spent, um, <laughs> which might have made Daphne and Simon make a lot more sense. But that aside, um, <laughs> uh, I'll say no. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> I agree that yeah, using the the time as a de- as a narrative device worked really well because you could you could draw out certain certain things across episodes, um, mm-hmm. and there were excuses for having all of these different balls and dances and all of these social events. I feel like it really worked well to create the the social aspect of society that they really wanted to hone in on by centering it in um yeah what would have been like i guess in our contemporary understanding like kind of like a gossip girl circuit yeah yeah i guess so um when i watched it i i mean i immediately thought of downton abbey so i guess to think of it as (laughs) as gossip girl as well would make sense um but yeah it's something else that i liked um was the inclusion of sienna and genevieve um, and having people from 
outside the ton specifically if we want to sound like them um <laughs> because yeah this this filled like the hole in my heart that Downton Abbey left because I'm a huge da- Downton Abbey stan um and like it's it's very similar but like something that Downton Abbey didn't do was like have people outside like the family and like that specific status mm-hmm. to um basically just have like an outer opinion and like give us a little bit more to the world and like problems that people have outside of the hashtag London dating scene. Um, so throwing Sienna and Genevieve in there with like a different set of problems and like a different perspective and just like a little bit of life was really nice. Yeah, I agree. I like that we, we yeah, we get a, a version of society that also, like, while it's, like, we get a different class, it's not... I didn't find them that, like, ne- like stereotypically ridden, you know? Like, it was mm-hmm. bad. Like, it felt genuine to me, and I appreciated that. That, one, we get that they have a genuine friendship, um, but just that their opinions and the way that they operate in society felt... Like, okay, yeah, there were women out here who were really creating their own lives and just like doing whatever the hell that they had to. And they they were the most interesting people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like that like they weren't just written off as being like mean or like kind of villainized for, for doing their own thing, mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, because that's something that we kind of see with Marina for different reasons. But having both of them doing their own various types of work in order for survival um and like focusing on their survival over a lot of things and then not having that be like i said be villainized was really was really good because that could have been really bad a lot of parts in that could have been like really bad but they didn't make them bad (laughs) yeah i agree it i was happy that they also didn't like take the time to turn either of them into this like just like super hyper sexualized like yeah really just gross super male like oh gotta throw in my prostitute you know because mm-hmm. they love to do that <clears throat> they miss um <laughs> so you know <laughs> it's uh yeah i i like that <laughs> these are real they're real people um yeah. genevieve is one of my favorite characters in the whole show i think she's fantastic i even though marina does like be really mean to a lot of people i like that scene where she calls genevieve out in french god yes that, that was, was so incredible. funny so funny so funny especially because it was wild that genevieve was playing literally everyone yeah. <laughs> so to have her like actually get caught by someone is really funny and granted somebody from like outside of that immediate area yeah that's what i think is really funny it's so good um Something else that I appreciate, and I want to put a disclaimer on this because I don't want people to think like I appreciate the story itself, like the content, because I don't. Um, and I have I actually have some feelings on when you make this black people, <laughs> why this story is almost not good. Uh, but Simon's backstory, I think, in as far as backstories go, I think is actually very compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I haven't ever really heard of a story where you have this guy in the aristocracy, whether he's like a monarch or not, but some guy with a title who decides, you know, that 
his line is going to die with him because all the time we get these stories about, oh, it has to, how are we going to continue the line? There's some obstacle that's like going to make it hard for the line to continue. And we get a narrative where it's the exact opposite of that. He doesn't want it at all. Um, And I think that that's, I thought that that was fascinating. I did not, I didn't like that it had to come from such a, like an abusive father, um and you know i have we we we've spoken our thoughts about simon's dad so you know with all of that i think it verges a little bit on trauma porn a little um but i do still like the story so i feel i feel conflicted yeah no i'll i'll agree to all of that um and like something that i thought was also interesting to compound on that was the fact that this that was like he he had that vow to never continue the line and that it also was never spoken about because i feel like if it if we had seen that somewhere um that would have been like common knowledge and then everybody would have talked about it and it would have been like a a bit of gossip to um everybody in the everybody in the aristocracy the fact that like oh he's never gonna have children this that the other thing mm-hmm. um but that was like all it was all hidden it was all under the rug they just thought he was just super hot and distant yeah so um i love that that whole that his backstory was something that we had never seen before and then it also was not broadcasted everywhere so we like didn't get sick of it i guess is the best way to put it yeah and it's like you know he is a brooding asshole but like it 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 really is for a a reason that does suck like Mm -hmm. he he's severely traumatized and he's coping in the best way that he knows how um maybe wow i was like why do you like simon so much ebby it's that (laughs) (laughs) Because I recognize that he's a severely traumatized person. Um, and I relate. Parent trauma. Relate. I I got you, Simon. I'm there. Not my dad, but, you know, <laughs> the other one. Uh, we are learning things. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I like, on on top of that, the, the fact that his relationship with Lady Danbury develops out of his father being a massive ass um i really like because they aren't related at all um but it's a perfect example of chosen family um because she really does take care of him like he is her kid or you know her family not even if it's like a mom thing but like you know your mom my best friend can't be here to see you but i know that you're amazing and she would think you're amazing so i'm going to make sure that you believe that you are and i think that that's like that was a really great story to see yeah yeah it's like found family between two people that had to make their way entirely by themselves and yeah. I, I i cherish that that's it was really it was nice and plus the relationship was like cute anyways to see very all of the sweet. other episodes mm-hmm. i loved oh i loved <laughs> when he rolled up drunk to that walk and she was did you bring the bar with you i was yeah. like oh my god <laughs> God, that was so good. Uh, their banter was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Also, speaking of banter, um, Lady Whistledown, just as a concept, phenomenal. <laughs> a plus. I I love that they use that to like frame the whole season, and then that the characters also used it as a weapon against each other. That. That was great to like actually include that into the progression of plot and not just have that as an 
omniscient thing that we as viewers get to deal with so yeah especially because you is something that you mentioned to me but like it's it's like the representation of the gossip back then but Mm -hmm. like physically manifested Mm -hmm. which is so clever which is great to like actually actively include in their little dating scene so and also just the need to figure out lady whistledown anyways was was cool that was a fun little piece of plot yeah i agree and then just getting to hear julie andrews on top of it all (sighs) correct i hate that we never saw her but but i love it I, i still love that she was there anyways all right, it is now on to the beloved segment known as our Michelin star rating. So for those of you who would like a little refresher, the Michelin star is a rating system actually created by the Michelin Tire Company for which I found out while watching The Weakest Link a while back as a way to incentivize travel. <laughs> who would have thought? Um, So... Michelin stars, there are three of them total, and one star signifies a very good restaurant, two stars is excellent cooking that is worth a detour, and three stars means exceptional exceptional, cuisine that is worth a special journey. So for Bridgerton, we at the Watchlist Burn Book have given it a drumroll please. Two stars. Yeah! Well deserved well deserved it does it's it's um it's decent it's it's a decent show and it's i wouldn't say that it isn't worth a watch there are there are things i love about this yeah um it it sums up like all of the nice stuff that we love about like jane austen and like regency era romance and we definitely we get that and that's something that i love like this has some of the best declarations of love i've probably seen in a long time mm-hmm. um it's just one of those things that you have to be aware of like everything else that's going on yeah and i i agree with that i do like that it is you brought this up before like pretty female gazy mm-hmm. in terms of the love and the romance and relationships especially the intimacy scenes mm-hmm. like it was and it's so funny because like in terms of like i guess relationships and like sex conversations go like they're pretty basic conversations but the fact that simon had uh, <laughs> he took the time to ask daphne about things that she liked yeah um i thought was i was like we why why am i losing my shit about the fact that i'm seeing that on tv <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> I guess we're just so starved for things like that. I don't know. Yeah, we, we are starved for decent communication, <laughs> especially in sex. Like, wow, people talking before they before they fuck. What a revolutionary concept. <laughs> Who would have thought? Or Who during, thought? because you can do that too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or just, you know, outside of sex, just, yeah, the love, the romance, the relationships, the friendships, especially. I really loved that the friendships, um, like Penelope and Eloise's friendship is one of my favorite things about this show. It was so good. And then like Sienna and Genevieve's friendship was also really good. (laughs) Exactly. Because they felt more like sisters, you know, both 
both of them. And I just, yeah, I really liked that we get scenes and relationships where, yeah, it's not always about love. Well, not romantic love, like platonic or familial love. And like, that's as much of a focus in this show as all of the romance. Mm-hmm. I, I could have said it better. That's that's perfect. That's on the dot right there. <laughs> I try. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, so, you know, even if we're, we're yelling about how they need to cast this so much better and maybe hire some black writers, um, it's cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be more seasons, so they might be able to, like, fix something along the way, you know? there's There's been enough discussions about this in, like, the greater world that, like, there's 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 the potential that this could get fixed in the future. Fingers yeah, exactly. Crossed. We've got seven more seasons. Woo, seven. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are eight books, so we get eight seasons. Bridgerton will never end. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on our socials at the watchlist BU1 on Twitter and Instagram. If you have thoughts on this episode that you'd like to share, or if you hated everything that we said, drop us a voice message on our website. On our next episode, we'll be covering Breaking Bad Season 5, woo, which is available to watch on Netflix. Happy watching and don't forget to do the reading.